Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome back to another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Wagner, here with my co-host, John Shirky. John, how are you today? What's good, my man? Jamie, I'm I'm pretty good. Recovering from a little cold. I hate to be the you know the guy who blames his four year old niece for making me sick, yeah. but I think it was Lena's fault. <laughs> Lena, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, but I think it was your fault, and please forgive me for blaming you. No, I'm good, sm- dude. I have small uh, children. I get this. I get this. Your kids are exposed to everything by everybody, and then they bring it into your house. And I was. So- I- I was listening to a podcast the other day and and somebody asked somebody about like daycare and and one of the responses was like look those daycare germs are no joke like they could bring down rhinos <laughs> and I'm listening to it and I'm like yeah it's basically how I feel right now like, yeah yeah uh otherwise no I'm good man uh another week another great week and uh looking forward to wherever our conversation takes us today because you just teased me before we hit record and I have no idea where we're going, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Well, the thing I'm looking forward to is a week from today. Boom. I'm, I'm hopefully I will, well, I'll be en route for sure, but hopefully I land figuratively speaking, not literally, I'm not flying, I'm driving out there. Uh, but a week from today, we will be in the same place, living the dream. Hopefully Hopefully, um, you get to show me all that Bozeman has to offer in a very short period of time, but we'll go from there. No, the thing that I teased was that we were talking kind of after the pod last week about something that you had been thinking about, and it kind of uh, it became an obsession of my mind. Uh, I, I mean, most of you, that works. Yeah, because... most of you know this. I like. I am an incredibly addictive personality. Uh, <laughs> And I have no, I literally have no idea. So clearly, once I said it, I'm like, cool, it's gone. And Jamie's- no, so so you were talking about David, uh, your brother-in-law, good friend of ours, mm-hmm. playing golf mm. with one with one club. And clearly, we are both golfers. And my my background this summer has been at the golf course, and so I I, I think a lot about golf. But I wasn't really thinking about it in a golf context. Talk to me about why he decided to do that, I think, is question number one. And then then I have a whole litany of thoughts that that surround it outside of the golf context. But we'll probably talk a little golf here for a second. Yeah, well, so background, brother-in-law David... Uh, division three, all American pole vaulter played high school football track, you know, yeah, incredible, athlete. incredible athlete. Now he has not, I mean, he played golf a little bit here and there throughout his life, but for the most part, you know, I would say on average, maybe plays a couple of times a year. And that's only been recently that he's averaged that. So yeah, we, we went out golfing, um, with him and his, his wife, my, my wife's sister. And so the four of us went out and none of us had played for, uh, you know, a couple of weeks. And so, well, I hadn't played for a couple of weeks. He hasn't, this is like his first time all summer. So we played the front nine and again, good athlete makes contact, but the traditional way, you know, that most people play golf is on the tee box. We hit it as far as we can. 
So typically we use a driver. That's the standard, like, okay. Now, driver is the most inconsistent club, I think, that there is in golf. If you haven't if you haven't been playing, it's hard to and even if you have, right? That's the hardest thing to be consistent with. And so he front nine, you hit it as far as you can, and then you figure it out from there. Well, the the trouble is when we do that, sometimes we get into spots where now we have to try to execute shots that maybe we can't execute because we just don't have the shot. Or we try to do things that um, are too risky for our talent level. And that isn't a shot at David again. It's it's just a, a matter of fact. And so the front nine really struggled because inconsistent off the tee, found himself in some tough spots, and score-wise just had a hard time getting the ball in the hole, which is ultimately the name of golf, right? Like how many times, how few of times can I get from here to there and in the hole? And so I remember um, we were maybe on like the eighth or ninth hole and he's kind of expressing this frustration and he's like, you know, I've really been hitting my eight iron really well. Maybe I should just hit my eight iron for all of my shots. And I kind of remember just being like, yeah, no, that's actually a thing that people do because once you start doing something and you get some repetition, now you have a feel for it. Right. And that will transfer potentially to other things. And I'm sure that's where you're going at some point. But um, so he just decided, all right, on the back nine, no matter what, I'm hitting my eight iron. And so what happened was he was more consistently in play off the tee, his second, and because he was confident that he could execute this shot, whatever the shot. So the first two shots, every hole essentially were confident swings, controlled just consistent. I know where it's going. And then from there, you know, you get around the green and you got to be a little creative. And so there were some things where he's chipping and he's learning how to putt with his eight iron. And, and, but at the end of the day, right? Like he, he started to, instead of having six, sevens or eights or nines on holes, like he did on the front nine. Now he was more consistently like four, five, six on the back nine. So just by changing and going to one club, he was averaging one to two shots less per hole, even though it was the non-traditional way. And I, and I love Emma, right? His wife was, yes. but she was getting, she was getting very frustrated. She's like, why are you only using one club? Why are you doing this? This is, you know, because also she was trying to play the traditional way and she's very competitive uh, and and her also, golf game also a division one athlete right yeah, yeah and and her her skills have grown immensely but to see this transition from david on the front nine because essentially she was beating him and then now she's not and he's using yeah. one club like as a competitor that's like whoa wait yeah. what so anyway that's beside the point and not what we're going to talk about but but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, he chose to go with one club <clears throat> and drastically changed the whole trajectory of the his enjoyment level, his score, and yeah. the outcome of the day. So, and I, I think there's there's about four different conversations that I've I've thought about in there. I think the first one, and had I been there, I'd have been like, David, use your putter. Like you still have it here. You can like you can go tee to green with your eight iron, like just choose to use your putter. So you don't have to like, but I, I, I love the commit. And this is David in a nudge, like the commitment to an idea 
and I'm going to see this through is really pretty cool. But the thing that struck me about it, the thing that I got kind of latched onto because I've done a different, a couple different things with different groups this past week. And I was working with a leadership group and I was like, what is the one club strategy of leadership? Right. And, and really it came down to keep it as simple as possible where, you know, you can confidently execute and where, you know, that you can get from point A to point D or E or F reliably. It might not be the fastest way. It might not be the way that guarantees the highest ceiling outcome, but it might be the way that creates the lowest floor outcome. And I've, I've really moved to this as a standard of how to start moving performance forward is what is your, how do you have the highest floor? I, I think I just said lowest floor option, but I meant the highest floor option, right? We want to move the the worst possible performance we have higher because then we are closer to our best possible performance more consistently. And then guess what happens? The best possible performance increases pretty dramatically, but that's not even the reason why it's like an obsession idea for me over the last five, six, eight months. And then you say this thing and I'm like, that actually is right in alignment with what I've been trying to do. Even the last maybe 12 months has I've been working with teams is I want to raise your floor because consistency is excellence, right? Consistent specific like predictable performance is excellence i even go to like ben hogan's five fundamentals of golf right he talks about the the primary job of golf is a repeatable swing like can you repeat it and i think about that all the time when working with people's like what can you actually repeat what can you do again and sometimes the simplest answer is like you might have to narrow your process to one thing. And for me, when I was talking about with the leadership group, because it was my first time with them this year, and I've had a lot of them before, but there's a new group and all this stuff. I'm like, guys, the simplest thing to do in leadership is to actually care about the people that you're working with. And uh, I read this. It said, we often don't make the conscious choice to care in a way that makes people feel seen, understood, and appreciated. And that, like, it was an email from Daily Discipline, Brian Kite, where he's like, I, this is really coming from the heart today. He's like, every email is coming from the heart, but this one has really hit me. He's like, we just fly through life and we don't, like, listen. We don't care about the people that we're working with. And as a result, our performance suffers and their performance suffers, right? Because everybody wants to feel seen. Everybody wants to feel heard. Everybody wants to be appreciated. And so from a leadership standpoint, like my one club solution was like, let's just start with caring. Like, and then we can branch from there. But I just, I just felt like, man, this is an idea that we can apply all over. And I have a few other applications. But I wanted to hear kind of your response to this thing that I've been thinking about chewing on here mm -hmm. the last week. No, I, I like that idea. I like that concept, but I, I think it has to go deeper further than, and, and I'm sure it did, right? But it has to go further than caring because I think my general perception of us as humans is that we do care about other people. Absolutely. Yeah. And that I, we, I genuinely, think we, like, we genuinely we, want. We don't stay in that place though. We, we try to move through it way too. We, instead of thinking we got to take eight iron off the tee. Right. Like, or that we can take eight iron off the tee, that we can just approach it with caring. We have to do the complicated 
thing, the driver thing, the, the, we got to hit it as far as we can. Got to knock it out every single time. And sometimes, yeah, I go ahead. Sorry. Thank you. No, I, I just, I, I do think it's got to go further than caring because I think at our core, we do care about other people in general. I have to believe that. Otherwise, what are we doing? Yeah. Second thing though, is like you said, how do we stay in that? How do we demonstrate that effectively? And I think I was, uh, again, listening to another podcast yesterday and having to be um, Alfonso Romero, who, if you know, is he's now, you know, host of America's Funnest Videos, but was on uh, Fresh Prince of yeah. Bel-Air. And he's done a ton of, ton of stuff. And now he's big into golf. And so it happened to be a golf podcast. But he was talking about communication with his wife. And he's like, and communication in general. And he's like, if you, that's communicating the message so that someone else understands and feels what you're saying it's not did you share the information did but what did that other person actually feel and understand that you cared right and so i think that's the other thing that we don't do very often and and part of it is not staying in it part of it is not being present enough and part of it is not taking the perspective of other people where it's like this is this is how i show that i care but did you feel that yeah right and and you know, that's absolutely, we have to be able to, to demonstrate let's, Hey, let's just at a baseline care about people, but how can we demonstrate and show that in a way that it's effectively getting to that other person, um, so that we're building that connection. Yeah, absolutely. I, man, that does take us in a whole, whole direction. That is really interesting. Also that we get in the way Sometimes like we, uh, we are the lid, right? We are the limiting factor. And so I want to do it the way that I want to do it. You know, I think I might have even said this. I for sure said it to a coach this week, but there's a note on my fridge that says, meet them, meet your child where they are, not where you want them to be. And I think a lot of times we do that. We, we go to where we want to be or where we want the other person to be. And we assume that making the statement or creating the idea is going to bring them to that place when in reality we have a barrier in the way of that place because they're just not there yet or they're in a they're in a completely different more advanced you know they're beyond that place and that's just a reminder to something and so they're like hey come to me you know and so we get these kind of competing tracks or these parallel tracks that don't intersect because we are focused on us so Beyond this one interaction in terms of the leadership or the caring thing, I have two other things that have kind of consumed my thought about that. I'm meeting, trying to set up a meeting with a couple first-year coaches, right? First-year head coaches. And I have this list of stuff that I'm like, I want to help them do this and like get to here. And I'm like, no, no, no. What's the the simplified version of this? And this goes back to uh, a book uh, and I think – and JP is going to love this because I'm re- referencing him again. Hey, uh, but he brought this book, Long-Term Athletic Development, into my kind of purview a few years ago. And it's like, and functional athletic development. And so as a coach, one of the things that I, I've i just been really interested in is like, what are the actual functional skills? And what are the positions and the places that you have to be in to be able to have transfer, to have skill transfer happen over time? And so like, I think about the eight iron and like grooving an eight iron swing 
helps you on just about every club except probably driving, <laughs> right? And so th this idea of I'm going to go back to the baseline functional skill that's necessary in most of golf actually is going to help broadly eventually but not yet today right so I, I don't know this this idea of going back to fundamental skills is probably the what what i'm talking about here but i just think that there's something really powerful about simplify all the way to one idea right but it, it's not it's not attractive it's not sexy Right? Absolutely. You, no, and when you, and, and when you brought you this have, up, you talked about uh, well, the bias. Sorry, I'm blanking. Sophistication. On. Sophistication bias, right? Because that's what you're talking about. It's not sexy. It's not. It's not the complicated thing. It, it can't possibly work because it's not. Well, it's not complicated. It, it, it's not even that it can't work, right? It's that we have this feeling. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is what we're supposed to do, yeah. and. We have decided, and you and I have had this conversation, and to keep it with golf, about hitting driver off the tee, right? What what feels better? I mean, in a in a sport that you don't typically think of as super emotional, like or adrenaline giving, yeah. right? What feels better than setting a ball down and hitting it as far as you can? Yeah. Right. There's in in golf. There, I mean, once you get into the detail of it then there's some other things, but at the basic simple level, right? I can hit the ball as far as I can. And if I can hit it and I make good connection, man, that feels great. Yeah. And so we chase that thing, uh, right? We chase yeah. that and, and, and we decide that, Oh, and we talk ourselves into no. And we, again, you and I've had this conversation. I have to hit it as far as I can, because then I get to the clubs that, I'm comfortable with and I have confidence in. Well, maybe if you can get there and how often are you getting there? And so we talk ourselves into the shiny thing, right? The thing that gives us the most adrenaline right now, even though most of the time we aren't able to execute that thing. And, and so, but you also have to, and, and again, this comes with everything that we're talking about. You have to be self-confident and self-aware enough to know that people are going to be like, Jamie, why are you, I mean, just like it happened to David with his yeah. wife, Emma, where she's like, why are you only using one club? This is ridiculous. Yeah. You look ridiculous. This is, yeah. and you have to yeah. be okay with, because on most of those holes, like he and I were playing this from the same spot and I played golf my entire life and several and times a week a long way. and yeah. I hit it a long way. So I'm, I'm hitting it twice as far as him most of yeah. the time. And you have to be able to come back to, okay, what am I doing? What is best yes. for me yeah. versus the comparison of, okay, I can't execute that. Yeah. So I need to go back to what I can execute, what I'm confident in. And I got to build from there. You said a word that is just like ringing in my head right now chase it right we want we want to chase that thing that we've done once before or twice before or whatever it is but it's gambling right it's it's a gamble it's a risk and th there is there's absolutely a time and a place and but like 
even if you look at responsible gaming and responsible gambling, it's like set limits, right? We have to set limits in that. And what happens, and again, I was talking to another coach this week about being able to process and to have the time to process and like being okay with a couple, as a golf coach, a couple bad shots because we're still processing a different bad shot. Like we have to be okay, emotionally okay with, okay, I, I put one in the drink off the tee and now I'm teeing up three and it, my next shot means I'm four and there's no way like, so now I made a six on this hole. Like I have to be okay with the fact that my next shot or two wasn't great because emotionally my body wasn't, hadn't responded yet to a place where I could actually make and execute a decent shot. Like we don't have a lot of the time socially, culturally, we don't have the skills or we haven't been taught the skills to like process emotion. What we've been taught is to move on, like just push it down, move on, get to the next shot, get to the next play, get to the next something. And as a result, we, we don't work through the emotional state and it stays in our body. Like for lack of a better term, it stays in our, in our world. We just don't, we want to consciously push it down and we don't want to think about it consciously. It doesn't mean it's out of us. doesn't mean it's not affecting the way that we're swinging or the way that our decision-making, right? And so, you know, what is, what is simplifying that process? The simplest answer is like, we got to process that emotion. We got to learn how to process that emotion as quickly as possible. But right now, today, if it's a skill deficit, it might take us 25 or 30 minutes. And that's a lot of shots. Like that's a lot of shots that go poorly or, you can go to your eight iron where you're confident and comfortable and just say, okay, I'm going to swing this. I'm going to swing this club. Even if that means that I'm going to make a bigger score than I would like to right now. Like you got to know yourself well enough to say I'm, I'm spiraling emotionally and I got to come to something that I actually trust. And that's, it's a really challenging skill for many of us. Yeah. And I love that you call it a skill. I mean, yeah. this is something <laughs> Look, I, anything that we talk about with with our mental performance, mental health, anything like that, emotions, these are skills, folks, yeah. and and I yeah. think that's that's where a lot of times there's this misconception, and we've talked about it before, and I will talk about it, I will continue because the the perception is that these are they're they're tools that they're tools that we can implement, and they have immediate in immediate benefit impact, which as, as all of us know, anytime you're learning something new, especially as a skill, it's always, I mean, there draw the curve, right? Where it's like, all right, it, it is, you see zero progress or negative progress in a lot of cases until you get to the point where it's like, you have enough reps, you've built enough confidence. And all of a sudden now we can start to execute that thing. And, and so, calling this a skill, Jamie, I think is absolutely the right thing. And, and we have to continue to remind ourselves that this has to be practiced. It's not going to be perfect. Yes. We have to continue to practice. And I love going all the way back to the conversations probably two years ago. I don't even remember who it was, but they're like, when we are learning something, we learn the thing and, yeah. then and then we practice and then we practice and then we practice and we practice and practice, practice. And then we can someday, hopefully we get to execute. And we just jump all the way to that third step. Well, and I think the nefarious thing about this is that we assume these are traits that are heritable and we just were given them 
and like we and, and let's let's be let's be honest. Of, there are some right, for sure, and, or some that we have learned by observing and it, we've internalized based on our environments. But sorry, but like this ahead. is this is fixed mindset, growth mindset stuff, where we're there's a fixed trait here, a fixed something that we were given at birth instead of seeing it as a skill that creates that is created over time and practice and like i think that you know the nefarious part about it is to think that this is a trait that i can't possibly grow because this is what i was given and this is all the capacity that i have there and we don't think that way as athletes we don't think that way as coaches but for some reason emotionally we definitely feel that way that i'm just built this way and as a result it will never be better yeah, that there's, and again, it goes, this is, there's one way, there's one way for me, there's one way for whatever versus, and again, for me, this is personally one of the hardest things, right? Because I, for most of my life operated in black and white, right and wrong. This is it. This is not it. And I still fight that every single day. And the when I fight that, when I and I was at practice yesterday and, and um, coach vegan at Montana state was talking after practice and he was talking about this book called relentless solution focused, right? Relentlessly seeking solutions, man. I, we, so often we jump to the solution. We jump to the conclusion, jump to conclusions, Matt, shout out office space, but right. We jump to the conclusion that we think is right. Even if it's not right for us. Well, it's confirmation we get, bias, right? And then we, we get assume frustrated. we assume that it's going to go a certain way, and and so like I mean, this was definitely not a, a podcast about bias or about heuristics or about the way that our brains work, but we're seeing it over and over and over again. It just shows up that we have these these inherent bias because they make our life easier, and that's good. They're not bad things, but we do have to check them on occasion, right? We have to step right. in and say is this true? Is this thing that I'm thinking and this thing that I'm seeking, are these best? Like, because that's what helps us raise our floor, right? When we're constantly checking back in, constantly updating the model, now we get better low-end results more consistently. And our high-end results will follow, but initially that low-end result is really just a process of, of updating our model of life and then performing in that more consistently. Yep. No, that's that's good stuff, man. I had one other example, but I just it's we've kind of hit we've hit it on the head already. You know, like it, it just we'd be talking about the same stuff, so I don't need to go there. But it was about you know, like it's a team that's you know going to be without a, a key player at some point here in the near future, and it's like just do the, your job, like simplify, right? you're not your job isn't that other player's job right and and so okay they might be gone and they're a big deal but if we do our job we're probably still gonna be okay so we just have to simplify come back simplify get to the skill that is gonna allow you to be successful update your model of what that is like keep it current keep it accurate and we're gonna be fine well and and again this is another podcast probably but don't get us wrong. We're not talking about simplify, go to your comfort zone and just do that. Yeah. It's about it's about getting to there, building that foundation, like you said, raising your floor. And then from there, we do have to challenge ourselves. We Absolutely. do have to, in this case, we have to get comfortable with the eight iron. 
And then once we have that foundation, now we can start yes. hitting seven iron, six iron, five iron, and we can start to feel those things out and we make adjustments, but we'd make adjustments from that new raised floor Absolutely. versus just from what our standard expectation, this is how it is supposed to go that we don't have confidence in. Well, and like, what's your neutral baseline, right? That's a, that's a Russ Wilson, uh, sort of thing. Uh, maybe he'd top example right now, right now for sure. But I had played all right last weekend. Anyway, baseline, like when we are high or low emotionally, actually we, our body is not at our baseline performance expectation. And so when we don't know what our baseline performance expectation is, or we can't identify like what our, what our three or four most important skills to execute at baseline are, we start taking unnecessary risks. We start chasing a feeling, which is I want to hit it real far off the tee, or I want to throw that deep ball, or I want to, you know, make that perfect backhand volley. Like all of those things become moments of high that we chase that we're gambling to try and, you know, it's all about hope rather than about knowing. And, you know, eight iron, we know what the result's going to be pretty consistently. Like, it's not that it's a hundred percent, but it's much more predictable. And then from that baseline, we start to, we start to increase our risk taking and it should, we should see growth again, but it's like, when you don't know, when you don't know any of it, it's all guessing. That is the absolute worst place to be as a golfer and in life. Right. I mean, when you're just uncertain about all of it and you know, like if I want to apply it to my life, like what is my baseline? Like I need to journal. I really do. And I don't terribly often right now because of the demands of, of life. And when I don't, ugh, my day is worse. It's just worse. Not, and it's not like noticeably worse until later. Right. I, I, again, think about golf. It's not noticeably worse until you made two doubles and you're like, uh, or two triples. And you're like, uh, there's no way I can get back to the score that I wanted to shoot today. Which is again a whole other thing when we start. It's also think, not true yeah. necessarily, no. right? Like, I I was no. talking to the golf coach and he's like, you know, you can make two quads in your round and still shoot eighty, which is a really good score. I was like, uh, I never thought about it that way. Yeah, you got to make a bunch of pars, but you can still make two quads and make eighty. I'm like, man, that's good. Like, you have to have well, two huge blowups. Yeah, and if you're just consistent everywhere else, you're fine. And it's and it's perspective, right? The same podcast I was listening to. Alfonso Romero and he's like one of the guys was talking about there's times where I have five birdie putts in 18 holes and I don't make any of them but I think man I could have made all of those and that I would be five under par and instead he's like well yeah or you could think of it as man I'm even par that's better than almost everybody else that plays golf ever ever <laughs> yeah and what ends up happening is you're like, you get so worried and frustrated about not making those things that not, now you do have blow up holes other, other places. And we make yeah. mistakes based on feeling bad and emotional from those outcomes that are already gone. We can't do anything yeah. about it. And we think that our, you know, we raise our emotional state. We reduce our capacity to perform at baseline. And then it starts to go sideways when actually we were performing above baseline and we are now frustrated that we were performing well, even though 
it didn't turn out the way that we wanted it to. Like the result wasn't the hope, the desired result. And we got, we have to detach from that. We have to be able to detach from the desired result and just look at how we're actually playing. Like if you're playing above baseline, awesome. Stay there, you know, stay there as best you can, but it's probably because you're executing baseline skills really well. Yeah. So again, all over the place here. So Jamie, if you were to sum up this conversation, I know you had a couple of points, but if you had one or two sentences for a takeaway, a challenge, a tool or something for, for those of them, you know, those of you out there listening right now, apologize. Cause we had, I mean, we'll get it, it locked all, in. Yeah. We yeah. went all over the place and there's, there's good stuff. We're going to have to come back to you, but the, the, must in for a second. The refrain in my head has been keep it simple, stupid, right? Just like the kiss method. But I think it it goes a little bit beyond that. Like update too simple is kind of my, right? Like update your perspective to the simplest possible and then add from there. It's not necessarily that it has to be simple, but update too simple and then build from there. I love it. Thanks for joining us. And as always, live eyes up.